Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. So we're going to talk this week about being a servant and servanthood. And I don't know why it seems like in some circles that it's almost like a bad word, you know? Somebody said, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. For some reason, it's something that a lot of modern churches don't even want to talk about. They don't talk about being a servant. We live in a world that is very selfish. At its heart, it's very self-centered. We could just see that with the, uh, a selfie. Very self-centered. Our world encourages us to be the best, to be number one, to step on anyone or anything to get our way, to get to our objective or promote ourselves at others' expense. You see it in the workplace. Those of you that work in different places, there are people who would slice your throat. They'd sell their own mom for a a pound to just get ahead. That's our worldview, but not for us, see. As followers of Christ, our worldview is not dictated to by the world. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it right. Our worldview comes through the lens of Scripture. He says of his, his ways are higher than our ways, and they're not the world's ways. He calls us to serve, and it says this in Mark 9.35. Jesus is speaking to his 12, and it says, Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And so I want to give you the definition of what we're talking about here. A servant is one who is privately employed to perform domestic services. One publicly employed to perform services like a government. Government agents always call themselves civil servants. I work for the people. One who expresses submission or debt to another. One who serves or attends. A person employed by another and subject to his orders. One who exerts themselves or labors for the benefit of a master or employer an attendant, a subordinate assistant, or an agent, a person hired for a specific time to do manual labor or a laborer, a household or personal attendant. But here's what it says in the Greek, and the word is doulos. And here's the Greek definition, and this sums it up better than I ever could. It says, one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Jesus said, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. You'll place others over yourself. Our world is always out for number one. We're only out for ourselves. A servant is someone who gives himself up for another's will. In the times that the Bible was written, servants were often part of the family and were valuable and were well looked after. In fact, several people had come to Jesus asking for healing for their servants. They didn't have a physical need, but they're like, will you heal my servant? My servant is unwell. A good servant was hard to find, and no one wanted to be without one. Those of you that that work in business or have employees, a good employee is really, you don't want to lose them. If they're a good, loyal employee, you don't want to lose them. And here's a couple people from Scripture. Joseph served in Potiphar's house in Egypt, and he became Potiphar's personal assistant, placed in charge of all of his master's house and all that he owned. So we're not just talking about somebody disregarded that's living in some house off the property. We're talking about a servant who was entrusted with everything that their master owned. Joseph was a servant. Daniel served several kings while he was in Babylon. 
The Levites were the priestly tribe that served the people in the temple before God. And here's a few verses that will be on the screen in Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. These are servants, the prophets. They were there to serve the people. In Malachi, or us Italians say Malachi, depending on how you see it, Malachi 4.4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. So even Moses, the man of God, the deliverer, was God's servant. In Acts 3.26, For you first God raised up his servant, and it's capitalized, it's Jesus, his servant, and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Jesus was the servant to his father. And in 1 Corinthians 4.1, and he says, so then let us who minister, we're all called to be ministers, we're all called to do his work. Those who minister be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards, trustees, administrators of the mysteries of God that he chooses to reveal. In this case, moreover, it is required as essential and demanded of stewards that one be found faithful and trustworthy. So we're going to be looking at a majority of our scriptures today out of Matthew 25, if you want to turn there. We're going to begin in verse 14. And Jesus begins telling this parable. It's the second part. The first parable in this passage is about the ten virgins. Some were wise and some were foolish and about the oil before the bridegroom came. You could read over that this week if you'd like. But Jesus is telling a parable about a man going on a long journey. There are many things that we can learn and apply from this amazing parable but today we're going to be looking specifically at the servants and what they did or didn't do. The first part of the chapter, again, is about the wise and foolish virgins. And the parable overall is about being prepared, being prepared. So Jesus says this, For it, being prepared, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Like Potiphar entrusting his entire estate to Joseph. Here the man is dividing up his resources between his servants. He's going away and he's placing everything he owns in their care. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. And I never caught that before. As I was going over this passage, I never caught that part, that he gave each one according to their own ability. I thought he just... Here's five for you, two for you, one for you. He gave them according to their ability. He was the master. They were his stewards looking after the stuff. The servant who received one talent in his master's mind couldn't have handled ten. So the master, in his insight, gives each one according to their ability. God, but God knows what he's doing. God gives each according to their ability. Notice, though, everyone receives something. I know there's many Christians who almost say to God, I don't have any gifts or talents. I can't do anything for you. Each one received something. And a talent was not a coin, but a weight. A talent was approximately 20 years wages. So think about that. This was no small amount. It was very substantial. Notice that all of the possessions that the servants are to care for belonged to the master. Everything we have belongs to him. I don't know if you've know, never heard that. Everything we have belongs to him, even the breath in our lungs. Everything we have belongs to him. We are stewards. And I remember realizing that as a young age, 
Sherry and I had our daughter, and I, I didn't know, even know what to do or how to care for a child. But I remember thinking, wow, she's placed in our care by God. We're stewards of hers. One day we're going to release her and give her back to God. She belongs to God. We're her steward. We're stewards over everything that we have. My pastor friend used to say, take everything you think you own and pass away. You take nothing with you. You own nothing. We're stewards of what God has blessed us with. And he also goes on, we're no longer our own. We're bought at a price. Even ourselves don't belong to us. We belong to the master and he sees fit what he entrusts to us. Continuing on verse 16, immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. The first two wasted no time in getting busy with the master's business, which implies direct, immediate action. They probably already had a plan in mind. They probably were already doing maybe whatever it was that they were doing. And now they had the ability with this and they could go and immediately put it into action. They were already quite capable of being entrusted with that much wealth or property. The third servant mentioned must have had some business sense because the master saw fit to entrust him with his property. So it wasn't like he had this pattern that he was just this awful person. And no, he must have had some sense. And the master saw fit to entrust him. To everyone's surprise, he chose to simply bury the money. He did about as little as you possibly could. And this is something that I find. There are some who come to faith and immediately begin telling others, Immediately, they're in the streets. They're, this is the greatest thing. I'm born again. I'm saved. God has saved me. And they experience that. And others keep their hands in their pockets their whole lives. They will never tell someone about faith. They will never tell someone about God. They dig a hole and just bury whatever that God gave to them. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Like Jeremiah, who we talked about last week, he was faithful for over 40 years, staying at the task that God gave him to do. This master was gone a long time. Friends, a long time is a long time. Sometimes it's, if you've ever tried to diet, you're going to keep at this for 30 days and a couple of days in, Domino's or Just Eat sends an app. Hey, we got a special going on. You're like, oh man, I'm really hungry. How many New Year's resolutions by January 3rd? We've already broke them. Staying faithful. The master was delayed a long time. His return wasn't quick. I know that for us, maybe some of us walked with Christ a long time and it seems like a long time. Will he ever come back? It's a long time. The point of the parables is to be ready because we don't know when the master will return. The Bible says that we occupy until he comes. We don't sit in a spiritual rocking chair just making doilies, just waiting for his return. We occupy, we're active. We should be doing something. We should be in active service to our master especially because we don't know when he will return. Verse 20, Then the one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. There came a time in this parable where the master did return, and he met with the servants to settle accounts. We're going to settle our accounts. Friends, we will all give an account to him for what we have done with our time, our talent, and our treasure. 
He was eager to meet with his master. He was looking forward to his master's return. Verse 21 out of the Amplified says, And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. He was given five talents and doubled that. Jesus spoke of a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold what was sown. One thing we can see in this is that our God is a God of multiplication. Sometimes we think that our God is too small or we think too small of him. God is a God of multiplication. God is a God of greatness. And the master says that he was placed over a little. That five talents would have been wealth beyond imagining. That was a lot of money or resources, but it was little to the master who owns everything. It seems like the master is more interested in faithfulness and trustworthiness in the servants' lives than he is about the profit and yield. He wasn't saying to the guy, oh, I'm just glad that you doubled my money. He says, you are faithful, good and faithful servant. God cares about us personally as his children, not for what we can do. And I think that's where some different faiths have where you have to do all this stuff. God's more concerned with our hearts than a matter of what we do or don't do for him. He wants our character to reflect his son and wants us to be faithful and trustworthy and loyal. Continuing on, verse 22. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, here's a servant eager to settle accounts with the master. He is pleased that he too has doubled what was entrusted to him. The master is joyful in the man's work and states that he was a faithful or he was faithful in a few things and now he will be in charge of many things. See, sometimes people come to God and they want to be in charge of many things and God gives them the smallest thing to do. Maybe something here like just filling up the, the carafe with the hot water. Well, you do it and be faithful. But they want to be in charge of all kinds of stuff. You ever meet people, they just want to be in charge of everything. God sees sometimes and tests the heart. Will you be faithful in the little thing that I've given you to do? Continuing on in verse 24, and the one who also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Here, the man seemed to resent or have some kind of bad feelings toward his master. We didn't see this dialogue in the others. He sees him as a hard man who takes from others. He didn't see him as one who sows and reaps. He's like, you take where you didn't even sow. He admits to being afraid of the master or fearful of messing up and losing the master's money. He returns the exact amount that he was entrusted with. He didn't lose the money, but he did less than the minimal possible that could have been expected. He could have just put the money in the bank and at least earned some interest. But note how all three saw the master. There's something in this as well of how they viewed or saw their master. Two were pleased to be entrusted in working for the master. The third man had some sort of poor view or opinion of the master. And again, it speaks more about the condition of their hearts than of the master's life. We're not judging the master and how he conducted his business. He's having dialogue with these servants. David Guzik says this, 
The third servant seemed proud of himself because the master was so powerful in the mind of the servant and didn't need his help. There's many that are like that. We're like, oh, God can do anything. If God wants that person to get saved, he can send an angel and appear before him. So he, in his mind, he thinks this master is so powerful, he doesn't need his help. The third servant thought that the master would be pleased that he did nothing and could say, look, there you have what is yours. He seemed to have no idea how much he had displeased the master. We can say in the third servant's favor that at least he still understood that what he had been given belonged to his master because he said, you have what is yours. Many modern servants of God think that when God gives them something, it no longer belongs to God, it belongs to them, and they can do with it as they please. And I'll take a pause there for a moment, but if Rachel gave me her checkbook, and I'm the steward of her checkbook, and a missionary comes to the church, and Rachel says to me, Mike, I want you to write a check for X to that missionary. That's Rachel's checkbook. Whatever she says, that's, it's, her, it's, it's not up to me. I'm the steward of her, her thing. Everything that we have is God's. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it. It's not ours. We just need to be aware of that because we think we can do with it as we please. Now, God's a good God, and he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But we're stewards. We're servants of the Most High God. Continuing on, verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. The servant is reprimanded for lack of action. He could have put the money in the bank and have earned some interest, but he didn't even do that. I don't know where he hid it, but it possibly could have been dug up and someone could have stole it. At least in the bank, it might have been a bit safer. He also scolds him for thinking that he was a hard man, taking what didn't belong to him. In essence, what he says to the master who's entrusted him with his talent of his possessions, he turns around and is offensive and offends the master that he worked for. There might have been others in his employ that may have loved the chance to have gotten that one talent. But the master gave it to that man with one talent, and that man blew his chance. Note also, the master judged each of the servants individually. We are all going to stand before God and give an account for our life and conduct. Charles Spurgeon says this, Remember, my hearer, that in the day of judgment, thy account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. He will ask you what you did yourself. In verse 29, For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a reprimand to the lazy servant. Also note that the man with the ten talents received one more. He was faithful over a few things, a little things, and God even gave him more. A few more scripture passages here. I'll be closing soon. Another dialogue with Jesus and his disciples, Matthew 20, 20. And this is a bit cheeky as we, as we look at it. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? Mom's getting involved to these two brothers And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. 
But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are, we're able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, that is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And going back to that first passage in Mark, and they came to Capernaum, And when he was in the house, he began to question the disciples. They were talking as they were going along the road. And he says, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had discussed with one another, which of them was the greatest? Peter, I'm better than you. No, John, I'm better than you. They were discussing who was the greatest. Maybe who was going to get the best reward on that final day. Sitting down, he called the 12. And I read this in the beginning. If anyone wants to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. And I don't know why it seems like being a servant or having a servant's heart. It just seems like that's below people to serve or to be a servant to someone. We must ask ourselves, what have we done with our time, our money, our abilities? Friends, we should be living our lives in such a way to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I saw this and it says, well done, my good and faithful pastor. No, bishop, evangelist, apostle, preacher, missionary, teacher, singer, worship leader. No, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's a matter of the heart. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what this is about. So we have to ask ourselves, what have we done with our time and our talent? Is it ours? I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that because it's mine. But our whole being belongs to him. The sins of omission, what we don't do, may turn out to be more dangerous than the sins of commission, what we do do. Because God's all given us a measure and he's all telling us to do something. And many of us just say no. And we're having sins of omission. So note this, that the servants were all given a measure according to their abilities. Friends, we're all given a measure. We all can be entrusted with something. What did David say? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to spend even one more day somewhere else apart from you, O God. It's a matter of the heart. That's what this is, is getting at. Are we prepared for the return of our master? Will he find us busy doing his work when he returns? We should gladly and willingly use our gifts and our talents and abilities to glorify God. He's given them to us in the first place. He's blessed us beyond all measure of all that we could ask, think, or imagine. Just go to other parts of the world. We can turn on our our tap and have clean, drinkable water. People have, if they can get drinkable water, they have to pump and pump and pump to get some water. God bless us. Just that, that thing alone is, is such a blessing. There are people that would do anything to have that ability to have clean drinking water at will. He's blessed us beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. He's so incredibly good to us.
I remember somebody saying one time, if all he did was save me and forgive me my sins, that's more than enough. And yet he's still good to us. He still blesses us. He does more than we could ask, think, or imagine because he loves us. Our desire at the end of it all, at the end of it all, we're going to give an account. We're going to stand before God. And I know my desire is to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Come celebrate with your master. Friends, I just want to close with this and, and I just want you to think about this. It is one of the highest honors in life to serve the Lord. He's not a hard man. He doesn't uh, take where he doesn't sow. Our God is a good God. And it's one of the highest honors to give ourselves in service to the Lord. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.